Well, good morning again. We are so glad that you have joined us. And I know in these next few minutes you are going to be blessed uh, to hear from my friend, Pastor Troy Brand from Orchard Park Church. Uh, we've been friends now for what, a little over a year. Uh, More than, about going on closer to two. Maybe probably. closer to two. I guess so. Closer to two years. And I had the privilege in February to speak at Pastor Brand's church and to be with them. They were so welcoming of us. And it was just a wonderful time with them. Very encouraging. Um, and I just I, I enjoyed it. We had hoped to have Pastor Brand with us earlier. And then quarantine hit. Um, but now seems to be a good time to have the conversation that we're going to be having right and so I don't want to I don't want to take any time away from him I will tell you over these next few weeks our conversation is about what do you see now we see what's in the news we see what's going on around the country and now that has spread around the world and this is a time and a place to have a conversation about what does it look like to be the church in the midst of injustice in the midst of a history of injustice and how do we move towards uh, love and healing what does that look like? So we're going to have several friends over these next few weeks that are going to be here. And Pastor Brand is going to kick off today talking about a history of race uh, post-Reconstruction. I'm going to let you have it. And thank you for being here with us. Okay. Um, we're excited for all that God's going to do Amen. in our church and our community through you and through uh, just continuing efforts like this. Uh, all right. Thank you, Mark. I'd like to say good morning uh, to the Journey Church family. And to all those who are guests visiting uh, through uh, technology with Journey Church worshiping, I pray that you enjoyed the worship set. Uh, I want to thank those uh, that brought the music. Uh, absolutely tremendous. I, I see a I see a future of a collaboration between this church and my church. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have original songwriters. We we have we have uh, some original song. Most of the stuff we sing, actually, a lot of it. Anyway, she writes well our music minister. Um, so, something going forward. I'm just grateful to be here today to share with you guys um, a message that the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, in conversation with Pastor Mark, we talked about a lot of things. Actually, we've, we've been busy uh, over the, the course of the last week. I don't know if you shared that with, with, with your church members, but um, we've been planning a whole bunch of activities. Uh, there's a cry in the community uh, from some saying, where are the pastors of Chattanooga during this during this um, this 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 time of unrest in America? Are, are they speaking out? What are they doing? Well, one of the things you need to know that your pastor uh, has been collaborating with a, a, a group of us pastors, and we are not just responding out of reflex, and we're actually thinking about and 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 being very deliberate and intentional about a response. Uh, from some of us as ministers here in this city. One of the things that we planned uh, is on Tuesday, I think at 6 o'clock down in Miller Park, we're going to have a truth and reconciliation ceremony. Um, it's going to be excellent. It's going to be excellent. It's going to be uh, black pastors and white pastors from several denominations, male and female, and, and we're going to have this ceremony. Uh, we're actually going to have foot washing as a way to show um, uh, humility and forgiveness Oh, now it's going to be awesome. Also, we're working on an anti-racism pledge, um, this same group of people. And so just keep those things in mind. We're not silent. We recognize that there is a need uh, for an outcry, but we, we're working in our lane. Amen? God did not call us to be politicians. God did not call us to be um, 
uh, political activist. He called us to preach the gospel. And the best way we can preach the gospel is to live the gospel. Amen. Somebody, somebody recently shared with me the best Bible translation is the one that we live. And we're going to try to live it. Amen. Amen. I, I've been given an assignment by Pastor Mark uh, to share with you, he said, from, from, from my heart. <laughs> I always share from my heart. Praise the Lord. And so that's what I hope to do today. Just so you can be comfortable with me and know a little bit about me. I am married with five children. I've uh, been married uh, in July 26 years. Amen. My wife, Charlotte, she couldn't make it today. She's out serving the community. I think they're working on serving the homeless this morning. Um, got five children. My oldest is getting married next week. One, my second oldest got married three weeks ago. Amen. I'm emptying a nest. <laughs> um, I I served uh, six and a half, six years. I keep saying six and a half, but six years in the United States Marine Corps. Um, was in the con. I was in the Gulf War conflict uh, in Liberia, Somalia. Uh, went down to Haiti to help back evacuate that whole bunch of stuff. Did everything. Six years in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, taught school for a little while before being called off into ministry. So uh, that's just a brief a bit about me. Um, don't want to take up too much more time boring you with all all of those details. I want I want to I want to speak to you um, today. <laughs> I'm laughing because the title I, I'm, I'm going to use the title for this message: White Domestic Terrorism. White domestic terrorism. I, I didn't hear any amens audibly, nor did I see you type amen in in the in the chat. Amen. So my task today is to take you on a journey through the history of African Americans in this country. The entire history of the African American in in this country is too broad and it's too deep, and 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 in a time allotted. Um, if we attempt to cover everything, it'll be a disservice to you and it will be an injustice to the subjects of that history. So we're going to just have a snippet. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we worship through the preached word. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, speak as your children listen and then give us hearts to respond appropriately to what it is that's shared. May the Holy Spirit have its way in Jesus' name. Amen. History is very kind when telling the story of the forming and the shaping of the United States of America. As the story is told, men and women fled the oppression of the evil English monarchy in search of freedoms, freedom of religion, freedom from a king and freedom of the press. These men and, and these women, these pilgrims headed for a new world. They headed for a land of promise. Uh, the Thanksgiving tale tells of these pilgrims. It tells of their arrival in the new world. It tells of how they were at the brink of starvation, starvation and faking, facing a harsh winter. It tells of how they were saved from certain death by Native Americans. The Thanksgiving story leads one to believe that there was peace and harmony between pilgrims and Native Americans. History is very kind when telling the story of the forming and shaping of the United States of America. The founding fathers, George Washington, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and others are cast as heroes, champions of human rights and, and fair governance. 
But the reality is that while they were fleeing oppression and harsh rule in England, they were stealing land from the natives in the New World. The reality is that while they were uh, drafting the words of the Declaration of Independence, believing in uh, with all their hearts that certain truths were self-evident, believing uh, that all men are created equal, believing that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, uh, the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursue happiness. The truth is that these founding fathers, these uh, these these men who, who who formed and shaped this country denied those same rights to the kidnapped African slave. I'm troubled by the fact that while these men who fled Great Britain to be rid of oppression and misery from a king, while these men who with pen and ink and parchment boldly declared their belief that God had given them a right to live and, and, and a right to be free and a right to ultimately be happy. These same men were denying these rights to other human beings. These same men in pursuit of their own happiness were making the lives of millions of Africans and millions of Native Americans unhappy. What's the legacy of their pursuit? What's the, what's the legacy of their troubled consciences or, or their double consciousness? It's this. This is the legacy. Today, the United States is the greatest country in the history of the world. Today, she's uh, one of the richest countries in the world. She has the most powerful military in the world. She has the greatest democracy in the world, the United States is a leader in science and technology, dominant in team and individual sports. Her musicians and singers and actors are celebrated the world over. Yet, she has the highest number of guns per capita than any other country in the world. She has the highest prison population than any other country in the world. One of the highest crime rates and an ever-widening wealth gap. And this country, the United States of America, with its reputation for being a champion for human rights around the world from, from her inception, has not championed the cause uh, 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 for, the, for the kidnapped African on her own shores. Instead, since, since before the Mayflower up to today, white America has terrorized black America legally and with impunity. This, this is the reason for so much outrage in black America. It seems that the terror never ends. It seems that injustice is only for them. It seems that every collective advancement made by, one, the, by the once enslaved race is met with legislation or violence or both intended to erase any signs of advancement. History is kind when telling the forming and the shaping of America. But a brief journey journey through a very small segment of America's history from the African-American perspective reveals a sordid past and exposes America's hypocrisy, America's hypocrisy as champions for human rights everywhere around the world except in its own backyard. So what we're going to do today, we're just going to look at a snippet of history. We're going to take just, 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 just a bit, a little piece of history and examine it. 
and and examine uh, this 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 hypocrisy. We 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 condemn North Korea for its human rights violations. We condemn China for their human rights violations. When I was in the military, we went to the shores of several countries and and we extracted people out to to remove them from the harsh uh, uh, treatment and rule of dictators. But let's look at a, a bit of history that kind of kind of shows that while we were doing those things, we had our own trouble in America. Although white men, this is the first history lesson, although white men raped black women and raped black girls without fear, without arrest, without any kind of reprisal, listen to me now, they feared black men sleeping with white women and, and and mitigated against even the thought or appearance that such a thing should happen by lynching any black man who they thought violated their women with look or 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 distance. Here we go. In night in eighteen eighty nine, in Aberdeen, Mississippi, Keith Bowman uh, allegedly tried to enter a room where three white women were sitting. Though no further allegations were made against him, he only tried to go in the room. Mr. Bowman was lynched by the entire white neighborhood, as was in quotes, for his offense. William Brooks was lynched in 1894 in Palestine, Arkansas, after he asked his white employer, his white employer, to marry the man's daughter. General Lee, a black man, was lynched by a white mob in 1904 for merely knocking on the door of a white woman's house in Reevesville, South Carolina. In 1912, Thomas Miles was lynched for allegedly writing a letter to a white woman inviting her to have a cold drink with him. Huh. In 1934, after being accused of associating with a white woman in Newton, Texas, Jim Griggs was hanged and shot 17 times. And then his body was dragged behind a car through the town for hours. This, this, this is a history. This, these incidents are, 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 are form a foundation for the frustration of the hunting down of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, this this history this is this these are just uh, just six or seven instances of of four over 4000 recorded instances of lynchings in America that form the foundation of of the fear and frustration of black America when we when we see police officers who are charged to protect people put their knee on the neck and dare somebody to do something about it History is kind when telling uh, the story of the forming and the shaping of the United States of America. Lynchings weren't just used to keep black men away from white women. Lynchings were also used to keep Negroes in line. In 1940, Jesse Thornton was lynched in Laverne, Alabama for uh, referring to a white police officer, watch this, by his name without the title of mister. In 1918, Private Charles Lewis, a, 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 a World War I veteran, was lynched 
in Hickman, Kentucky, after he refused to empty his pockets while he was wearing his uniform. Go fight for our country, even though you're a second-class citizen or almost no citizen at all, and we'll kill you if we want to just because you don't want to empty your pockets. What's your uniform on? Richard Wilkerson was lynched in Manchester, Tennessee in 1934 for allegedly slapping up a white man, watch this, who had assaulted his wife at an at at African-American dance. I'm going to come up into your dance. I'm going to assault your wife, and if you hit me, when you hit me, when you slap me for doing it, then I'm going to get you lynched. White men lynched Jeff Brown in 1916 in Cedar Bluff, Mississippi. Watch this. For accidentally bumping into a white girl as he ran to catch a train. In 1917, Sam Gates was lynched for the offense of annoying white girls in England, Arkansas. Hmm. Such assaults were not just perpetrated on individuals. There were lynchings of individuals for, for whatever, whatever, whatever a man's mind could think of was, was a violation that could get him lynched. But it wasn't just individuals, communities of African-Americans were terrorized by white Americans as well. This is one you probably heard of, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921. Greenwood was a neighborhood in the city of Tulsa where African-Americans who had pursued and achieved the American dream settled. Greenwood was a wealthy black community. It was so wealthy, in fact, that it earned the nickname Black Wall Street. It was so wealthy that they say that white men would come to Greenwood to borrow money from the banks in Greenwood. Blacks who lived in Greenwood had their own schools, their own hospitals, they had their own stores, markets, hotels, banks, real estate agencies, contractors, and lawyers. It said, um, it, it said that this community just had money flowing everywhere. But unfortunately, in 1921, their pursuit of the American dream became... Uh, an American nightmare. Black Wall Street was destroyed in one day. Here's what happened. On May 31st, 1921, approximately 3,000 white men, deputized by a white police chief, took advantage of an accusation that a black man had insulted a white woman. They went through the Greenwood neighborhood, about 40 square blocks, gunning down black men and black women and black children and burning, watch this, and looting homes and business. Here's, here's what they said. They said, they said these men, what happened is the little kid, they said a little guy was shining shoes outside of one of the buildings downtown. He had to go to the restroom, so he had to go up to the top floor of this building because that's where the black folk could go. The, the, those days you didn't push a button and go on the elevator. They had an elevator operator. It was a lady. Nobody knows what happened inside of the elevator. All they know is that the black lady screamed. Now, what they suggest is that the elevator probably jerked. The young man fell over on her. But a, a young kid, a young man in the elevator with a screaming white woman in 1921. So the little fella took off, got out of there. He ran and they went and arrested him, put him in jail. Well, the black men in the city in Greenwood said, hey, we're not going for this. So they took their guns and they went down there and they were going to get them out of jail. White men said, no. Nah. So they had a gunfight. A couple of people got killed on both sides. The sheriff pushed everybody away, 
said there's not going to be any injustice in my city. Then another sheriff, apparently somebody else, deputized these 3,000 folk. They went through the, to the Greenwood neighborhood, burning it down, killing whoever. These men were World War I veterans. They had Gatling guns on the hill, mowing down anybody who came out of their houses. They had airplanes from World War I. They even dropped bombs on some of the houses. 40 square blocks destroyed. Now, the Greenwood community still exists, but not like it used to be. It's not what it used to be. It's a good story to tell when we, when we, when we look to, to talk about the terrorism that happened in the United States, the Black Wall Street. It's a good one, right? But, but it's not the only one. It's not the only one. Here's, here's something similar happened in East St. Louis. 1916, during the spring, blacks were arriving in St. Louis at a rate of 2,000 people per week. Most of them found their jobs in aluminum factories and steel companies in East St. Louis. So watch this. Some of the white folk feared a loss of jobs, and they, and they, they had the thought that they would lose wages because they had new competition and further resented the newcomers arriving from rural, very different cultures. So tensions between the two groups ran high and escalated when rumors were spread that, that black men were socializing with white women. Then folk got mad. In, in May, another 3,000 white men gathered downtown, of East, in East, downtown East St. Louis. Uh, the mob began burning buildings and attacking black people. The Illinois governor called in the National Guard to prevent further rioting and, 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 and uh, conditions eased somewhat for a few weeks. Then on July 1st, white men driving a car through a black neighborhood began shooting into houses and stores and churches. A group of black men organized themselves to defend against the attackers. And as they gathered, they mistook an approaching car for the same one that had been driving through the neighborhood shooting earlier. And they shot and killed both men in a car who were, in fact, police detectives sent to calm down the situation. The shooting of the detectives incensed a growing crowd of white spectators who came the next day to examine the car. The crowd grew and grew and turned into a mob that spent the day and the following night on a spree of violence targeting black neighborhoods of East St. Louis. Again, National Guardsmen were called in, but various accounts suggest they joined in attacking the black people rather than stopping the violence. After the riot, uh, varying estimates of death of the death toll uh, circulated. The police chief uh, estimated that 100 black people had been killed. Um, the renowned journalist Ida B. Wells reported in the Chicago Defender that 40 to 150,000, about 40 to 150 black people were killed in a riot. The NAACP says 100 to 200. 6,000 African Americans were left homeless after their neighborhoods were burned. Then there's, you can look this one up too, the Red Summer of 1919. Absolutely horrible. Red Summer of 1919. Even though the time is called the Red Summer, no, no, no fewer than 60 incidents of mob violence happened for the entire year. The whole, in the United States. Washington, D.C., Red Summer, 1919. Post, um, Post-war Washington, D.C., roughly 75% was white, was a racial tinderbox. 
housing was in short supply and jobs were so scarce that ex um, doughboys in uniform were panhandling along Pennsylvania Avenue. However, Washington's black community was then the largest and most prosperous in the country and probably still is today. With a small but impressive upper class of teachers, ministers, lawyers, and businessmen concentrated in in, in LaDroit Park neighborhood near Howard University. By the time of the red summer, by the time it was underway, unemployment, un, unemployed whites bitterly envied the relatively few blacks who were fortunate enough to pro- procure low-level government jobs. Many whites also re- resented the influx of African Americans who previously segre- segregated themselves in neighborhoods around Capitol Hill, around Foggy Bottom, and then Old Downtown. In July of 1919, white men in military uniforms responded to rumored arrest of a black man for the rape uh, for rape with four days of mob violence. They rioted, they rioted randomly. They beat black people on the streets, pulled others off of streetcars and attacked them. And when the police refused to intervene, the black population fought back. Troops tried to restore order as the city uh, closed saloons and theaters and discouraged assemblies. When the violence ended, 15 people had died. Ten whites, including two white police officers and five black folk. Fifty people were seriously wounded and another hundred seriously, uh, severely wounded. It was one of the few times when white fatalities outnumbered black fatalities. Knoxville, Tennessee, closer to home. 1919. In August of 1919, a race riot in Knoxville, Tennessee broke out after a white mob mobilized in response to a black man's, uh, to a black man accused of murdering a white woman. Isn't it interesting how most of these attacks involve a black guy attacking a white woman or doing something to a white woman? Let me just pause and say something, and and, and I need y'all to hear this, okay? It's my estimate. Watch, Please listen to me. This is not meant to be offensive, and I think it's absolutely true. I I have two examples to back this up. I, I, I believe in the history of America, white men dislike white women more than they dislike black men. Okay, watch what I'm about to say. You have slavery in America for 200 and something years. 300, from, from, from 1619, actually the first slaves came to the Americas in like 1598, all the way up to the emancipation in uh, 1864, right? Black people were considered to be less than human. A three-fifths of a person can't vote, supposed to be imbecile in the mind, you know, unable to do anything for themselves. But as soon as, as soon as a, piece, a white man signs a piece of paper and the war ends, black men, through amendments to the Constitution, get the right to vote and white women don't. Really? Then, then, and it was about 80 years later, they get the right to vote, right? Even though it was black folk were disenfranchised from voting. It doesn't take away from the fact that legally they could vote. But women could not. Black men served in Congress and in the Senate before women. Then, then let's, let's fast forward. Barack Obama gets elected president. I have a theory. I have a theory. Okay, watch this. Hillary Clinton was running for president. A lot of people say she was a flawed candidate. Maybe against Trump, but not necessarily against Obama. But here's the deal. She's a white woman. So so rather than a white woman getting elected president first, a black man gets pres- get to be gets to be president before a white woman. 
<laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting is they're going to lynch and kill black men. Watch this for talking to white women, wanting to have sex with white women, bumping into white women, knocking on the door of white women. But a white woman couldn't vote before a black man. But a, but a white woman doesn't get elected to, to president before a black man. Just think about that for a second. Just think about that. So back to Knoxville, Tennessee. Again, a black man accused of murdering a white woman. 5,000, 5,000, um, a 5,000 strong mob stormed the county jail searching for the prisoner. Not not two, or 5,000 men. They, they went into jail. They let the 16 white prisoners go including one suspected of other murders. After looting the jail and the sheriff's house, the mob moved on and attacked the Af African-American business district. Many of the city's black residents were, were, uh, were, were um, aware of the race riots that had occurred across the country during the Red Summer, so they armed themselves, they barricaded themselves, and they were ready for an insurrection. You know, So they wanted to defend their businesses. Two platoons of National Guard from Tennessee, uh, led by a general, um, Edward Sweeney, arrived. But they were unable to halt the chaos. The mob broke into stores and stole firearms and other weapons on their way to black the black business district. Upon their arrival, the street interrupted, erupted into gunfire as, as black snipers exchanged gunfire with the rioters and the soldiers. Huh. The Tennessee National Guard at one point fired two machine guns indiscriminately into the neighborhood eventually dispersing the rioters. The shooting continued sporadically for several hours. Outgunned, the black defenders gradually fled, allowing the guardsmen to gain control of the area. Newspapers placed uh, the death toll at just two, though eyewitness accounts suggest that the dead were, some, uh, were so many that the bodies were dumped in the Tennessee River, while others were burned in mass graves. 1923, 1923, Rosewood, Florida. Rosewood was a quiet, self-sufficient whistle stop on the seaboard uh, airline railroad in Florida. By 1900, the population in Rosewood had become predominantly African-American. Some people formed, uh, excuse me, some people farmed or worked in local businesses, including uh, a sawmill near, near in, in a nearby town named Sumner. That was a predominantly white town. So you got the black folk coming from, 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 from Ross Rosewood over to Sumner to work. In 1920, Rosewood Blacks had three churches, a school, a large Masonic hall, and a turpentine mill, a sugarcane mill, a baseball team, and a general store. The village had about two dozen uh, plank story homes, the other, uh, some other small houses, as well as several small unoccupied plank structures. Spurred, between the, the sp spurred by unsupported accusations that a white woman in Sumner had been beaten and, and, and possibly raped by a black drifter, white men formed a number of nearby towns uh, uh, from, from another nearby towns formed a lynch mob um, and, they, and they lynched uh, a Rosewood resident. When the black citizens defended themselves against further attacks, several hundred whites combined uh, combed the countryside hunting for black people and burning almost every structure in Rosewood. Survivors hid for several days in nearby swamps and were evacuated by train and car to larger towns. 
Although state and local authorities were aware of the violence, they made no arrests for the activities in Rosewood. At, a, at least six black men two and two white men were killed, and the town was abandoned by black residents during the attack. None ever to return. These frustrating and heart-wrenching incidents from America's past tell more than uh, stories of hatred and racism. Listen to me. What they communicate is that there is a certain depravity in men who are under the control of Satan. To exp- now, 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 please don't miss this. To explain how, to explain, excuse me, to explain, to explain how humans can treat other humans in that way, to try to rationalize or normalize mob behavior that takes the lives of innocent men, women, and children simply because of, of, of skin color is to excuse sin. In other words, if, if we ever try to, exp- if, we, if we explain sin, then we excuse it. Sin never makes sense. To lynch men for nothing and to destroy whole communities because of a rumor that a black man assaulted a white woman without, without allowing due process of the law to work is, is the darkest of evils. When I read these accounts, I, I, get, I get angry. When I read these accounts, I get frustrated. I get teary-eyed. Uh, it, it makes me shake my head to the many white people. Watch this now who have no clue about America's true history as it relates to race in America. Because there's so much distance between between the time of of certain mistreatments, uh, lynchings and rapings and uh, of blacks, uh, because there's so much distance between this stuff, because this stuff was normalized and acceptable back then, when racial incidents seem to be hyped up by the news today, many white folk dismissed the notion that there ever was that that, they, that 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 America was ever really that bad for black people. That's that's why that's why when folk put on "Make America Great" hats and bumper stickers, it it it, it infuriates black folk. That's why when we see the 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 um, Confederate flag, it inf- heritage, your heritage. Means 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 my ancestors' um, death and 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 disenfranchisement and and whatever else negative words. It, you can't have it both ways. You cannot you cannot say make America great again because America has never been great for the black man. You can't fly a flag that 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 that, that represents a, a group of people who fought a war to keep another group of people in bondage it doesn't matter what history says it was, wasn't about states rights be, the right the right to to have your own government no it was about the right to keep people in slavery and 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 the myth that abraham lincoln freed the slaves cuz he had a kind heart is foolishness he freed them in order to end the war nobody in america cared about slavery except the few abolitionists Everybody else was okay. And the only reason why France got in the war because it was because cotton stopped flowing. Yeah, France joined the war, helped the North win the war, but they had to stop the war so they can get back to getting cotton. Nobody cared about the slaves. It's a myth. 
so 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 for the white for the white folk today who dismissed the fact that 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 living in America was a bad thing for black people back in the day. It wasn't good for them. You were you better off being here than in Africa. Being here as a slave than in Africa. For those folk, for them, Hollywood offer offers glimpses into what it was like to be a slave or or, or what it was like to be black during Jim Crow. Hollywood. Hollywood. And 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 what it was like to be black during the civil rights era. It's Hollywood. They they made sanitized versions of the not the novel The Life of Solomon, excuse me, the life of Solomon, Solomon Northrup, and they gave it a catchy name, 12 Years a Slave. And then viewers viewed 12 Years a Slave, and they believed they had a full understanding of slavery. Huh. But, but when, 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 when Holly, Holly Jerima, an Ethiopian filmmaker in 1993, put out a movie called Sankofa, a film depicting the Atlantic slave trade with its horrors and, and, and plantation life in the South, with all the evils of white folk front and center, that brother couldn't even get a major movie theater or major Hollywood uh, movie producers to support his film. So he had to rent out movie theaters across the country for a couple of years with his own money and money he raised so, so, so he could show, show the reality of what slavery is like on the big screen. So I, I, went, I, went, I went to a movie theater in like 1995 when he was showing his movie in Baltimore. And we watched the movie, and at the end, he came out of the back, and he started. He had a conversation with us. He began to explain to us. He says, one of the reasons why I couldn't get my film picked up by the folk in Hollywood is because the vast majority of Hollywood movies want to have a white hero. And because we wouldn't change the script, because in his movie, there were no good white people. Now, that's not necessarily true in history, but this is how he wanted to pick the life of slaves in that time. You see what I'm saying? And they said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. He couldn't, he couldn't get anybody to pick his movie up because he didn't want to change it the way he wanted to change it. So think about this. We, we, all, we all saw Hidden Figures, the, new, the movie about the black ladies with the, uh, for the going to the moon, the mathematicians and stuff. Well, we saw that scene when Kevin Costner got tired of his lady running across the, the campus of the, of the um, NASA to go to the restroom and he, he tears down that white only sign over, over the door. Never happened. Never happened. But it's good for movies because you need that white hero. No, what happened is that sister said, I'm not going over there. I'm going in this bathroom. And she stood up for herself and she just refused to go. But see, that doesn't play well. So, so in, in order to make it look good in the movie theater, got to have this white guy coming in to, to rescue her. Look, look at, look at, look at um, Wakanda. What's the movie? Black Panther. I didn't, I didn't even see Black Panther. I just heard about it. Who, who saves the day for all those black folk in the end? A white dude. You got black folk running to the movie theaters, talking about heritage, and at the end of the day, the one that makes the difference in the movie? A white dude. Hollywood tells a story from a different perspective. And the history books don't do much better. So I, so I can see how uninformed some people may be. When I, when I went to school, in my high school, my, my teacher said, I don't care about the curriculum. We're going to have black history from September all the way through June. That's when we went to school, September to June. And we studied black history from September through June. My wife went to school in West Virginia. She said they didn't talk about black history. They glimpsed at it a bit in February. That was it. It's a whole different world. 
My school was nine. We had we had four white people at my school for the four years of high school. I had two the first year, first two years, and then two different ones the second two years. Lord bless them, man. It probably wasn't the best experience for them. I'll be honest with you. Amen. It was not. It was not. Actually, one guy got along pretty good. The other one's probably not. Anyway. So here's my challenge to you. Here's the challenge. When it comes to police violence repeatedly committed against black people across the country, when it seems uh, uh, when, when it seems that there's incident after incident, that, that, that this, these lynchings will never stop. While, 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 while white men kill black men and women without punishment, before George Floyd, there was no outrage. None. Amen. Not, not, a, not a collective. Let me say it that way. No collective outrage. And even now, there's still a contingent of white folk who are not fuming. They're looking for excuses rather than focusing on the death of, 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 of the, the, the horrific death of George Floyd. They're looking at rioters. And all of us have seen the pictures of white people going in and out of stores with their shopping carts, getting TVs, too. All of us have seen pictures of white people burning down buildings, too. Um, one of my colleagues in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, his, sis, his daughters were up in Minneapolis, not in Minneapolis, up in uh, Michigan protesting Grand Rapids. And they said uh, they were they had a good day. And as soon as the sunset, a, a, a horde of white men showed up on the scene and started setting fires. This is white. This is white people, white, white young ladies protesting. They said they they had to yell at these guys. What are you doing? Stop burning buildings. Said nobody was burning buildings except for the white men in Grand Rapids. So, but, the, but some folk want to change the narrative. So further, 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 there's a political contingent who holds sway in government at all levels who refuse to do what's right. I hate the fact that John McCain had to die. I absolutely hate the fact that 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 some of some, some, the, 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 some of these some of these politicians who had guts stepped down rather than stand up. Some of these some of these folk don't want to do what's right. So we got to we got to we got to be outraged at the continued lynching of black people and outraged at lawmakers who are slow to respond to the racial inequities that still exist in our country. I'm done after this. Here's, I'm gonna issue, here's your challenge. Here's your challenge. In the second chapter of Exodus, we find Moses, a prince in Egypt, a prince in Egypt, a man of privilege. He's, he's a prince in Egypt. We find Moses in Exodus chapter 2 intervening in an instance of police brutality. You know the story. He sees, he sees an Egyptian overseer beating a Hebrew slave. He disregards his position of privilege and he intervenes to stop the brutality. To those of you who are not of the oppressed race, I challenge you not, not, in, not to kill anybody, but to intervene just like Moses. That's my challenge. May God help us as we respond. All right. Thank you. Boy, we are so thankful you chose to be with us today. Um, we're going to, here's what we're going to do. So we're going to, we're going to chat for a few minutes between us. And then if you would like to respond in the comments, 
Um, we'll do our best. Uh, Facebook's not always the best at showing everybody all the comments, but we'll do our best to follow along. I, I feel like listening to you, um, there are a number of responses people can have. And one of those responses can be just as a white person, the history, thank you, the history uh, that I heard, which was not much of what you shared, is a lot more comfortable than what you shared today. And I imagine um, for you, this is this is not only a, a burning passion to share truth, but is also painful to share this type of history. It's painful to hear mm-hmm. as well. And and I, we have to we have to at some point recognize as followers of Jesus. We have to be consumed with what is true, not with what is expedient or convenient. I remember the first time I learned, um, you mentioned uh, emancipation. And I remember the first time I learned, Abraham said this about uh, freeing slaves in America. He said, if it were my choice, I would not do it. But I, I must to preserve the union. And that's not word for word, but that's pretty much what he said. So which, w- which one was more important then, the union or the people? That's right. Hmm. That's right. So I, I, f- I feel like that one of the responses we can have is to ignore what we've just heard. And, and that's a successful way of living life because we've done it for hundreds of years. It's successful on one side of the equation. Some folks, it's not so successful. Right. But... I could not help but think of Jesus's um, exchange with a blind man, mm-hmm. where where he spit in his hands and he made mud and put it on his eyes, and scales fell from the man's eyes and he could see. Right. And we can choose how we respond to this. Uh-huh. I want to ask you this. Um, where do we go from here? For those who see, who want to see, this is why we've called this series, What right. Do You See? Right. For those who want to see and want to respond, what would you say to us on, like, what's a, what's a first step? Where do we go from here? Um, well, individually, I would say a first step would be to um, get, a, get a broad picture of, Amer- uh, uh, of American history. Um, it's, it's one thing. The victor writes the history. Yes. And so it's one thing to hear history, and we, and we talk about uh, the so-called forefathers or founding fathers of our nation, and we celebrate the document that we, we, we govern ourselves with, the, the excellent con- the Constitution. It's an excellently written document. It it's, it's, it's keeps us stable, keeps us safe. You know, it helps us to function in society, and we celebrate all of that. But let's look at the context of the history around that document mm-hmm. and then take a journey from the context of that history of, of like I said at the beginning of the sermon, the forming and shaping of America, mm-hmm. and proceed all the way through. And what you find is as we have fought wars uh, in, internally and internationally to defend the Constitution, I, I swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. At uh, the same time, um, the, the, the African-American, my people were disenfranchised in this country. And that's a, that's a gentle way of saying it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And so my challenge 
to uh, the first step would be to, to get a get a get a, a full view of history. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you have uh, several books. Um, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head. I need to just pull up my phone to tell you, but there's several history books that you can start with. Uh, a People's History of the United States. There's <laughs> a liberal guy, Howard Zinn. It's, it's been a history book that has told the truth about American history for a long time, not just about the slave or black people in America, but history in general. Um, we can put those in the notes. I'll get it back to you. I know you. you've got a good list of books because you've given some of them to me already, so I right. think we can, we can get that. And Thank you. Yeah. Share that with our audience Move us later. on. Move us on. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, Troy, one question I would have is for, mm-hmm. for those that don't understand in recent history, what does disenfranchise mean? You took us up through kind of to the civil rights movement. Post-civil rights movement, most people don't understand what you mean maybe when you say being disenfranchised. Well, here's here's what we know, Scott. Um, What we know is that any individual in America can be successful. Listen to what I'm saying. That doesn't matter. It, It doesn't take into account race or anything. Anybody, any individual in America who puts their mind to it, who's willing to fight, can be successful. Black, white, Korean, Hispanic, male, female, LGBTQ, anybody in America, the way our American system is set up, the American dream is absolutely achievable by an individual. Notice I'm putting emphasis on individual. But because there are individual successes, it does not mean that there has been a a systemic Mm -hmm, and systematic mm -hmm. disenfranchisement of a group of people. You see what I'm saying? I'm from I'm from Baltimore. Um, I, I mentioned in the sermon Washington D.C. It said it had a lot of rich folk back then, and it still has like the highest. The black folk who live in 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 the Washington D.C. area still have the highest um, ma- amount of wealth among collections of black people in the United States, right? But at the same time, and Baltimore is not far behind. We're, we're 40 miles apart. But at the same time. Baltimore and D.C. have some of the largest or greatest amounts of poverty for black people, too. And, 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 the, and the amount of folk who have wealth versus the amount of folk who are in poverty is a clear difference in it, as far as just yeah. talking about black people. So there's a systematic disenfranchisement of black people. Uh, in the South, um, in, 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 when, when, when the... Um, when the, uh, the, the law, the, the segregation, the desegregation, desegregating of schools happened, right? And and we had to integrate schools. It didn't it didn't go in the in, in the late 1950s is when the law was passed. And then we had the Little Rock 9 trying to integrate schools and then we had um, Mississippi uh, Ole Miss trying to be integrated and so many different colleges getting integrated. You know, and that was you show, you see the force of the arm, but the majority of the South didn't respond. Those were some some high profile cases, but the majority of the South didn't respond. But once the law started being enforced in the um, late 70s, late early late in the 1970s, you cannot legislate conscious. So what white people did in the South, they just start building private schools. Why do you think we have so many private mm-hmm. schools in Chattanooga? Yeah. I don't want to go to school. You can't make me go to school with them. So if the government says, okay, blacks and whites have to go to school together, we'll just leave public schools and have private schools. And, and, and so my point yeah. is that's a disenfranchisement right there because what happened is when the tax base pulls out, right, the school suffers because those folk are influential with voters. We don't want our money to go to that school because none of our kids go there. 
Black folk wasn't in politics. Right. So they, therefore, education becomes low on the totem pole. It's not and, funded well. And how much, Troy, how much of that are we seeing in, in our own area? Because traditionally, up to a certain point in time, the, the inner city schools were under Chattanooga's jurisdiction, and then they gave them to the county, which was a predominantly white county, and now we still see that, that pushback from the people in the county. Those, those are your schools, not ours. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. is that kind of a similar thing that we're seeing? It, it's, it's definitely a similar thing. Um, so what happens is this. Uh, there, there was, there was a. Uh, uh, we just had the, we just had the um, budget last year. You know, mm-hmm. the superintendent put out a nice budget. It was, it was extensive. Had a whole bunch of money in it, and it got voted down. Well, in certain, certain uh, sectors of our, our county said, well, we're good. We don't need that budget. Whether you pass it or not, we're okay. So certain people on the school board didn't vote for the budget because their, their kids and then their school, in their part of the school district, they were comfortable. Right. See, they didn't care about the rest of the school district, so they didn't want to put a burden on everybody else because we're okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're still seeing that segregation. Right, and there's, and I, I think most people don't really understand how that works. I, I think most people don't understand the the inequity in the educational system. They assume we have a big pool of funding, everybody gets equal shares, and then, and what we'll say is, well. Um, the problem in the inner city schools, our parents aren't involved, or or the father figure's not there, or but they have the same opportunities everybody else does. Right. But that's not true. No. That's not true, and they don't even have the same funding. So so watch this. If in fact the schools, the majority of the the government's income comes from property tax, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a large, let me let me, if you have a large amount of renters, they're not paying any property mm-hmm. tax. So therefore. Those that make the laws and, and write the bills and, and do the budget, consciously or unconsciously, the money doesn't go to where the money's not coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Home ownership is the single greatest tool for moving from one level of income to another, the single greatest tool for gaining wealth. That's the one thing that we can buy that does not depreciate and that everybody needs. We don't need diamonds, we don't need gold, but we need to buy a house at $200,000 and we need to be able to sell it at $230,000. We need to be able to buy a house for, at, at $60,000 and sell it at 100. That's right. We That's need to right. be able to accumulate wealth and then we need to be we need to be able to pass it down. But another uh, another disenfranchisement is the lack of home ownership for black folk mm-hmm. and access to home ownership for black folk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um uh, we had a bank here who got in trouble for not giving loans to black people. Yeah, and there's a and there's a word for that. You want to talk about that? Oh, redlining. Redlining. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Redlining keeps keeps folk out of neighborhoods. Redlining. So so. There's a book called The Color of Law. The Color of Law, and it tells the history of redlining in America and how system so systematic systematic means. Um, you know, one, two, three, four. It's a pattern. It's it's how things are done. Systemic means it's it's there. It's in it's infectious. So this book talks about both the systematic and systemic racism in our housing policy in the government. They had they had one instance right in the book where so so what happens is that first of all projects housing projects were not made for black people. Housing projects were made for a World War II veterans returning home. Not not black, but white, because because redlining kept black people out. They were living in projects. 
once black people uh, tried to get access to the to the housing projects, we talk about socialism, mm -hmm. and they say we don't want um, uh, Bernie Sanders because he's a socialist. We don't want Elizabeth Warren because we're a socialist. Read, 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 read that book, The Color of Law, and you'll see socialist programs benefiting white Republicans because what mm -hmm. they did is they 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 funded the moving of white people to the suburbs, and then those white folk were able to get wealth. Then they left the projects and they and they put factories next to them. And they did all kind of stuff and left 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 poor people, black and white, in the hood. Yeah. So and, okay, go keep ahead. Going, keep no, going. Go ahead. No, I don't want to stop you. Um, so let me let me. I only ask you to respond to what some may push back, mm -hmm. but I think that this is all addressing push, that push issue. Back. Would be um, the a lot of the events you shared early early 20th century. Mm -hmm. 100 years removed from us. Mm -hmm. So that's not happening now. That's, those activities are illegal. That's That would be what someone could say. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? It just happened two weeks ago. It happened um, a, a month ago. Uh, it happened, and we can just run through history. Lynching, lynching may not take... 1998, down in, what, Jasper, Texas, or somewhere down in Texas, they lynched a guy, put him behind mm -hmm. a truck in 1998, mm -hmm. and dragged him... Through the streets, mm -hmm. 1998, when I was living in Greenwood, Mississippi, right in the heart of the Delta, um, right where, this is where Emmett Till's trial, the trial for the men who murdered Emmett Till had was happened. When I was, we, we moved from Greenwood in 2010. A week or two after we left Greenwood, Mississippi, they told us they found a black man hanged in the white community in Greenwood. Now here's what I know about Greenwood, Mississippi. Greenwood, Mississippi is one. It's, it's, it's old-fashioned. This is where they filmed the movie The Help. If you saw the movie The Help and you saw those houses that those ladies were coming out of to go to work in, in the rich side of town, those houses were not. There was not a set that they made. That's why the people live for real. They just they just they just use that set because of its authenticity. Nothing has changed in so long. Hmm. So anyway, there's a river that runs right through the middle of 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 Greenwood, Mississippi, and there's a clear separation. One side of the river, black people. One side of the river, white people. The way this man was hanged was way in the back corner of Greenwood where some big, nice, pretty houses were where no black people belong walking. And if you're walking back there, the police are going to ask you, hey, why are you walking back here? It's suspicious. That's all I'm saying. It's suspicious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that th th those are two examples, 1998 and this other one. And then if, if we don't consider the killing of George Floyd a lynching, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know what is. Mm-hmm. If we don't consider the the killing of Ahmaud Arbery a lynching, I don't know what is. Yeah, I, I think the Ahmaud Arbery case, they're all troubling. The Ahmaud Arbery case is is more textbook of what the problem is. Yeah. So when when the video came out, video came out, and some of the comments that I heard initially were, well, it's kind of his fault. Why didn't he run away? Why did he shoot in front of the truck and attack the guy with a gun? Well, that's not the whole story. Right. And one of the things I think you have shared before is that the the issue is not that things are worse now. The issue are that things are being captured on video now. That's it. That's so we just we just know about them. Mm -hmm. But it, it's been in the last I don't know couple of weeks that really the the whole timeline of the Ahmad Arbery case has come out, mm -hmm. where he did run away. He did multiple times. Ran to. into a ditch yep. to get away from them, mm -hmm. and they continue to to chase him and hem him in. And and the third individual um, that was arrested 
actually ran into him with his car right. to stop him. That's right. And so the last moments we see of Ahmad Arbery's life are him having tried everything he can to get away, yep. and he couldn't. And so it was uh, fight or flight, yeah. exactly. and that was it. And exactly. then as the man who shot him stood over him, uttering a racial slur right. to him. Right. So it's a textbook case of a man being hunted. And then I remember having a conversation with you about how ludicrous this is because the the whole story is ludicrous. Is. The the man whose house he had visited had released video that countless numbers of people had done the exact same thing right. Ahmaud Arbery had done. That's right. Visited the house, walked into the house, multiple uh, you know, races have come into the right. house, but one man was chased down with guns. One man. One, one, one man person. was chased down with guns. A suspected burglar a sus with nothing in his hands. Uh, of which the owner of the house said, of all the people, including who they, they thought was him visiting more than one time, said, Nothing had ever been taken. No. Nothing had ever been damaged. And yet in that moment, they grabbed their guns, they jumped in the truck, and they ran. I, so a couple of things, a couple of reasons I bring this up. Mm -hmm. One is we have to open our eyes to what is happening, and we have to, be, we have to stop coming up with all of the reasons that what we're seeing with our eyes is not what we're actually right. seeing. We right. have to stop convincing ourselves that these things are not happening. The second reason I bring that up is the story of Ahmaud Arbery and the story of George Floyd and the story of others as it relates, and the reason I ask you that, as it relates to the early 20th century is we do not live in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I am not made mm -hmm. only of the experiences of the 48 years of my life. Mm -hmm. I am also made of the experiences of my parents and my friends and my sister and my grandparents. I, mm -hmm. My view of mm -hmm. seeing the world it has been shared through the generations with me right. so that if we come to the table and say, yeah, but you know, it's illegal to lynch somebody today. But we have created an environment in which this happens repeatedly. And I think, um, and I don't want to take your time, but um, we saw this a lot as we, as we entered into the foster system, mm -hmm. which is often taking children from black homes mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And we, got, we saw that systemic part you're talking about. Where the, the way it's set up, and not that we we didn't work with anybody that intentionally wanted to hurt anybody. They they wanted to help. That's they right. were underfunded. Right. They didn't have enough people to do right. the jobs. People slipped through the cracks. People couldn't pay attention to what was happening. But what we saw was that there was a consistent way that it, as we look at at what is required of a person to take the steps to to be healthy, to be a healthy mom, to be a healthy dad. The system does work against them. Hmm. And in that system, whether it be uh, we send you off to a counselor um, if you have a drug problem, but we don't provide any other support to get you out of the environment in which the drug problem uh, leads to you losing your child, which right. is our experience right. with our daughter. Right. So rather than helping and stepping in, we don't have time to help. And, uh, and instead, we also have a situation where, if, you know, Malia, had, if she grew up in, if she continued to grow up in the environment in which she was living, what is likely by the friends in which she lived was the hopes were to be able to, to survive, to live, to eat, 
to have a place to, li- to live. We heard from countless friends and countless others that their hope was that they could get their own Section 8 housing. Right. And, and that is not a dream. That is not a dream okay. worthy of dreaming. Yeah, for some. But for some it is. Yeah. How, do we, how do we respond to some of the systemic issues that have, that have its origin not in the last 10 years, not in the last 30 years, but in the last 400 years? So, how do so we respond to that? One, one of the things that we have to do is we have to vote, for the, for, and our vote has to be a vote cast for people who we believe will work for the good of all humanity. There's, there's a, uh, um, a team-building game um, called Win As Much As You Can. I don't know if any of you have seen this game, played this game in your corporations or whatever. And the simple premise of the game is this. X's and uh, I think it's X's and O's. Let's just use X's and O's. If X's and Y's, that's what it is, X's and Y's. If you choose Y, every time it's a group of people come together, teams of four, you decide what you're going to choose against another team and another team and another team. Every team wins if everybody chooses X. Mm -hmm. The problem is when everybody chooses X, you get the lowest payout, Mm -hmm. $1. It's $1, $2, $3, $4. When a a group chooses Y, you lose every time. you, You win every time except for when everybody chooses X. So in other words, if I choose Y, and, and everybody else chooses X, I get the most money. I get three. I get three points or four points. If two of us choose Y and two choose X, the two Ys get points. If three people choose Y, the three Ys get points, and the X gets nothing. So it's more beneficial to the individual to choose Y because you have a greater chance of getting points. However, if you choose X, Everybody always gets points all the time, but you only get a low amount. Nobody gets a great payout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, so the, the 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 challenge in society is we have too many people choosing why mm. when they cast their ballots. I want to benefit. I want to win. I want to grow. And then what happens because society because so many people choose why. And X keeps getting disenfranchised and goes further and further and further in the hole. Folk look at him and say, you need to choose Y, too. Mm. But the problem is when everybody chooses Y, everybody loses. Nobody gets points when everybody chooses Y. So we have a, we have a challenge. Somebody has to choose X. Somebody has to be the sacrificial lamb. The hope is that everybody would, but everybody's not. So the solution, what I'm simply saying and sharing that team-building story is, all of us have to choose X with our ballots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Troy, what you'll be told is if you choose X, you're just wasting your vote. Yep. Because that person's not going to win. Yep. You need to choose Y. Yeah, because it's going to benefit mm. you. We we don't live. We here's here's what we hear. Here's what we hear. Well, California is all Democratic, and 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 New York is all Democratic. So we already know how they're going to vote. They have the biggest voting blocks, and so we got to make sure we galvanize the vote against California. And mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. Right. That, all we're doing is trying to win. The language of politics today is I won. Mm-hmm. That's absolute foolishness. In the land of the free, in the home of the brave, in the greatest country in the history of the world, there's no reason for people to be so disenfranchised uh, as, as, as blacks and Hispanics are in America. Mm. It's absolutely shameful. And that's because... 
people keep choosing Y while a whole bunch of other folk are choosing X. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely so so the vote, the we have to be we have to be determined to cast our ballots in a way that would help us have legislation in place mm -hmm. that allows everybody to thrive mm -hmm. and not just a, a few people. That's 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 one. Number that two sounds like the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Love your neighbor. Love as your neighbor. Your saber, as yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Philippians chapter two. Consider others better than yourselves. Don't only look out for your own interests of yourself, mm -hmm. but also look out for the interests of others. Mm -hmm. Speak you know? for those who can't speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Live at peace as uh, Romans twelve. Live mm -hmm. at peace with men as much as depends on you. Mm -hmm. Um. So 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 another thing that we can do, um, which is more personal. Each person can can learn history again, like I said before. When, when you learn history in, in its fullness, it is absolutely eye-opening. It's like, wow. There, there's a podcast, Seeing White. You need to look at it. Let's it's look good. it up. It's Seeing White. Very good. Uh, there's a book, White Fragility. You get that one. That Some people get offended by that one. There's another book, um, The White Racial Frame. Huh. If you take that journey, I think, I think you will change the way you look at things. The White Racial Frame. When people ask me about resources, I don't like to recommend a whole bunch of resources that are um, black, written by black people, and, you know, um, take, take you on a journey through the black experience. That's fine. That's good. But I'd rather recommend books and podcasts that take you through the white experience. Mm -hmm. Seeing white looks at racism from a white perspective. Mm -hmm. The white racial frame doesn't examine uh, the black folk. It examines racism from the white mindset. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? White fragility talks about why 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 are you so upset uh, when somebody says you're racist? There's this there's this concept this that kind of part this white white fragility that these social scientists have coined. They call it aversive racism. Mm -hmm. Aversive racism is is it, it comes in two forms, uh, or it manifests itself in two ways. It's one thing, but it manifests itself in two ways. Aversive racism, um, basically. Uh, that the, uh, is a person, a person who's an aversive racist says, uh, I'm not racist, mm. you see, uh, and um, I, I, I believe in equality for all and so forth and so on. That's, that's the first principle. And the second principle is I'm highly offended that you would suggest that I'm racist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You become a bully at that point. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is this. Aversive, aversive, aversive racism is demonstrated mostly by not what you do, it's by your inaction. Yeah. And these, they did, these social scientists did tests, and they have the data, they know how to do the research to prove that people are, in fact, aversive in their racism. In other words, in other words they did one, one, one experiment. They had a black person who needed help. And every single person who walked past, well, almost all the people who walked past this person, when they were alone, helped the person. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's who we are. That's who we are as people, you know, as, as wretched and as sinful as we are, there's still some semblances of God inside of us, saved or unsaved, mm -hmm. where when we see somebody who's hurting, the vast majority of us, we don't care what color they are. We don't care how old they are. We don't care anything. We're going to help them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, when there was a crowd around and they had excuse, an excuse not to help, the same folk didn't help. Mm -hmm. But they help white people. Excuse me. The study showed they help white people group or not. But when it was a black person, they helped when they were by themselves. But when it was a group, they didn't. And y'all know 
people watching and the people sitting in here, y'all know that some of you have decided not to help because like Peter, when 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 the folks show up, mm, I gotta mm, go with off of my. I can't mm, I can't mm. be friends with them. I can't help mm, them because mm. that's gonna look bad on me. Yeah. yeah, and that's where my question was going. Talking about action, we, mm-hmm. we're seeing protests and things in Chattanooga. You mentioned white people burning buildings in these protests. Are the white people burning buildings to help out black Americans? What what is the story behind this? Do you have I, any insight that we I, don't I, have? I don't. I, it's, I mean, it's confusing. To it, it's it's here, here's the thing. Now, my suspicion is that these folk are trying to stoke race riots, just like there's probably some black people burning buildings trying to stoke some race riots. I don't know. I have absolutely zero clue, but that's my suspicion. It's what just, what it's I would what I would think though is, if you are enraged, and you want to help, the last thing you want to do is burn down something. I don't care right. what color you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's something else going. Yeah, on. Yeah, I, I don't. I have I have zero yeah, insights and we, in that. I was just curious if you had any insight there too, because that's one thing that doesn't get mentioned much. But when you look even in Chattanooga at the makeup of the protesters, there's a majority of white kids in this. Let me tell you something. My heart is leaping inside of me with the number of young people and the number of white Americans who are protesting around America. Me and my wife went to a protest in a march in Cleveland uh, earlier in the week or whenever, when the weekend, whatever it was. And I tell you, it was probably about 10, 20 black people and the rest of the hundreds were white. This is America saying enough is enough. This this is what we want to see because here here's what we know to be true. Whether we agree with it or not, I, whether you guys agree with it or not, it's true. When white men make a stand, things change. Mm. That's right. Yeah. This this is this is America. It's the reality is, white men run America, and when white men say it's time to change it, it changes. NASCAR, white men said take down the rebel flag, it came down. Governors of certain states, white men said take down the statues, they come down. Black people been saying get rid of the rebel flag, get rid of Confederate statues forever. Nothing has changed. People, when white men say, okay, I'm going to do it, then it happens. That's just the reality. A, a yes. lot of black folk don't even want to admit that. It's true. NASCAR fan, Troy, don't give them too much credit because today's race is sponsored by Dixie Vodka. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And we're seeing a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the reason I bring this up is we're seeing a lot of corporate Americans trying to look good to support a cause that they don't believe in necessarily. Yeah. It's the thing to do for marketing right now. Well, I mean, listen, folk are going to make money. You, you don't think MSNBC, Fox, and CNN love what's happening in 2020? Yes. Those yes. folks are they are having a field day. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. Donald Trump is a cash cow for all the cable news. Mm-hmm. Whether you hate him or like him, they don't care. They're making money. Then the, the coronavirus, they're making money. Mm-hmm. And then we got a race ride on top of that. They're like, man, listen, we're going we to act their kids. It. Let's keep it like this. Their kids are mm-hmm. going to the best school because they're making <laughs> money. And and so yeah. what what happens with us though, what happens with us, we 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 have become a lazy society. Because we have we have news instantly. We ha- we can rewind and watch videos uh, at our our leisure. We have the the the, the cable news that's always consistently there and so we don't read anymore. That's mm-hmm. right. The be- when I was in the 6th grade, we took a tour of a, of the Baltimore Sun newspaper. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. So we took a tour of the Baltimore Sun newspaper as a part of our project for the year. We we were writing a newspaper. Um, putting together our own newspaper for the school. And so the newspaper guy said to us, he said, one of the reasons why newspapers will remain relevant, now this is in the 80s, <laughs> he says, one of the reasons why newspapers will remain relevant is because we 
put out our editions once a day. So when news happens after that edition comes out, unless it's something super significant, people have to wait till the next day to read it. That gives us time to collect all the facts, all the data, and make sure we get the story right. He said in the 1980s, on television, they are they want to be the first ones to get it out. That's right. And usually it comes out confusing. And so the print print media is still relevant, and not just print media, but books. Think about the researchers who spend five and six years researching a subject. As a matter of fact, here's a perfect here's, here's a good one for you. A lot of the data I got from for this sermon came from the Equal Justice Institute. You saw you saw the movie Just Mercy. Anybody see that movie? Mm. It's free right now. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it right now, go on to Amazon. Just Mercy is free. You don't even have to pay. Just click on Amazon, and he, they're giving it to everybody for free. Well, this guy started a, 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 an equal justice. He started the Equal Justice Institute to get people out of jail who were on death row. They also had so they have this website, and and at Equal Justice, um, the, these Equal Justice people, and it's called um, Lynchings in America. Just 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 type in Lynchings in America EJI. You'll find the website. They have a report on there that is worth your time. It is absolutely 100% worth your reading. If you read that, a lot of what I shared here in this message, you'll see it and more. And and what right. that will do is the education. What that education will do is will give you a foundation for why what we see with Ahmaud Arbery and what we see with George Floyd and all these other folks who are getting killed by police officers look so bad and feel so bad to be people in the black community especially when the folk don't go to jail. I mean, you, 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 you have Emmett Till get killed, right, in the, in, the, in the 50s. When he gets killed, they lock the guys up, and they have an all-white jury, an all-white jury, uh, 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 you know, acquit these guys. They sit there smoking cigars, laughing again. No, they're not going to go to jail. The lady talks. They, they, I, 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 I know people, I met people who know the guy who was supposed to be the star black witness against these guys. They And some of the people who were around during the trial were still in Greenwood. It's absolutely crazy. They were fearing for their lives. I went to the, I went to the place where they where he whistled at the white woman, supposedly. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I'm sorry I just jumped around on you. No, you go but ahead. it's absolutely incredible, man. Anyway, and reading, is, and reading. Is, and this is the stuff that we've been talking about as friends that we need you to share with us. Let's go. Let's talk about these things, these these events in here. Let's go to those sites. Like you were saying, we, we talked right. about going to the museums That's and right. things. Together as friends, you know, that's right. and so we can learn from each other and, and get that yeah. perspective that most of us don't have. Well, yeah, that's another another thing to do is to travel to the civil rights museums. Um, if you get a chance, Journey Church, get on a bus, drive to Washington D.C. and go to the African American uh, Museum. Not the Smith, not the Smithsonian. They have the Smithsonian African American Museum, but they have a brand new one that just came out. And and what they do is the new museum. You start at the, you go down and you start at the very bottom, like you're like you're going into a slave ship, and you take the whole journey through through the United States history through the eyes of black folk all the way up till you come to the top. Um, people who've gone said it, it's too much to see at one time. You got to plan to go to for two or three days. I'm telling you, if you go, your life will be changed. If you want to stay local, go down to Montgomery. You can go in a day and come back mm-hmm. to the lynching museum just outside of Montgomery. The Equal Justice people. Uh, responsible for putting that together. This is this is a place where they have the names of all the people who were lynched in the United States from a certain point in time to another certain point in time in every county in the United States. And they have a memorial to that. I guarantee you, your life will be changed. Go to Atlanta. They have a civil rights museum. Birmingham has a civil rights museum. Um, Memphis has a civil rights museum. Where where Lorraine Motel, where Martin Luther King was shot, 
Uh, isn't that Lorraine? Or that? Yeah. I think that's right. Anyway, the hotel where Martin Luther King was shot. They have a civil rights museum around that. You can actually go in the very, you can go to the very room where he was in, and the balcony and everything where he laid lay, and you can go over to cross the street to where the, the gunman was, and you can get the angle from that side too. Take these trips, mm-hmm. and 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 see. Cincinnati has a civil rights museum. Um, a lot of places probably have them. But I tell you, if you if you study history, if you learn history, it will be absolutely life changing. It makes the difference. And if we are followers of Christ, if we if we purport to be followers of Christ, we have to be concerned with what oppresses our neighbors. That's right. And if we can do something about it, we should do something about it. Jesus himself said, and Isaiah prophesied about Jesus, he was coming for those who were oppressed. That's right. And we understand that what Jesus was saying is ultimately, I can't, I cannot rescue you from all of the oppression between people. That's what sin does to people. That's what, right. that's how sin has contaminated right. and, and ruined what God had planned for us. But as you said, we all share the image of Christ or the, the image of God and Christ came for all of us. We have to be aware of what's going on. We cannot claim to love Jesus and to love people if we're only loving the people that look like us. And one of the questions that we have to address is the fact that, well, I did not own a slave. I did not uh, lynch anyone. I did not, yes, but we have benefited from a system that has has uh, oppressed our friends and our neighbors, and we have to be aware of that. It's silly to think that none of us have any bias or have any kind of, um, you know, even if we don't want to call it racism, we can call it bias. Mm-hmm. We have prejudice. bias or prejudice. prejudice. Every single person does in some way. Everybody. We. One of the things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do with us is to bring truth to us, to reveal all things to us, is what Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do. And one of those is we have to be aware of, even within our own lives, we have a level of bias within us that is against what Jesus came to set us free from. And so we have to be on our own journeys to root that out and not just close the door on the conversation because it's an uncomfortable conversation. Because this today can be an uncomfortable conversation because they are horrific events that happen to people that we wish hadn't happened, but they did. Mm-hmm. And we have to we have to respond in some way. As followers of Jesus, this has to inform the way we live our lives with our neighbors. That's right. And if we don't do that, then the the question that comes to my mind is, is then are we actually living out the gospel at all? And absolutely, African Americans are not the only ones who are um, th- that there is prejudice against. But when we look through the history of our nation. There, there is no other group that has been as oppressed or as hurt who has been hunted like the African-American in our nation. And we have to address that, and we have to be able to move forward. And, 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 and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there's always try, there's an attempt to draw equivalence between certain groups um, to compare with African-Americans. Uh, we know that um, our, Jews, our Jewish brothers and sisters suffered horribly under, under Hitler. Um, but the time period of that suffering and the fact that Germany paid them reparations um, and, and the fact that nobody gets on them for having memorials all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, 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 and they say, without apology, we, sure, we want to make sure you never forget the Holocaust. And then you try to compare that 
to 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 uh, 400 years of oppression in different forms from 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 black folks survived slavery only to have um Jim Crow and and the black codes and all that lynching put on them survived all of that um you know through the civil rights movement only to have mass incarceration heaped on them okay then and then we we fight our way through mass incarceration only to have to be disenfranchised from voting it's it's an absolute uh, an absolute uh absolute it is absolutely intentional and systematic to keep a race of people subjugated whether mm-hmm. people want to see it or not it's it's clear throughout history mm-hmm. and so um it's not it's not a false it's, 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 it, it is a false equivalent to try to compare anything to it it's, and it's okay to have three atrocities it's okay mm-hmm. to have four atrocities all of them need mm-hmm. to be addressed mm-hmm. we don't have to negate one for the other let me tell you what we do we we say black lives matter and people get upset well here here's the real deal october we got pink everywhere and we say it's breast cancer awareness month i never hear the colon cancer people saying well colon cancer <laughs> matters too i never hear i never hear the lung cancer people well what about lung cancer all cancer matters. Nobody ever complains about that exactly because right. the <laughs> emphasis for that month is breast cancer, and we're okay with, with allowing breast cancer to get a little more attention. But as soon as black folks say black lives matter, no, 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 all lives matter. Well, here's the real deal. If all lives matter, then make it, then, then choose X and not Y. It may have been mm. worth having you here just for that statement. I think that probably illustrated better than that's, I, just about that's great. I've ever heard. That was fantastic. That's, that's great. All right, a couple of things. Um, we could go at this all day. The things, things about these conversations that, fr- yeah, that frustrate me is that I, you have shared so much with us, and yet I feel like we this is a drop in the bucket. There's so much more, and we need to continue to have this we conversation. A couple of things before we um, wrap up. Number one. Did you, did you neglect your question? Yeah, we if you really got, co- we didn't really, most, 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 most of your comments, okay, good. Yeah. but if you do have a question that you want to shoot this way to, to Pastor Brand, then send it right now and we'll ask him. Um, and, but one of the things that I want us to, to hear from you and I, and I asked your permission if I could ask you this. Mm-hmm. So one of the pushbacks to being, um, enraged over what happened to George Floyd is, yeah, well you had me. And then you started protesting and rioting, and so you lost me. And so I'd like for you to speak to the protests and the riots from your perspective, but you also have a son-in-law who is a first responder. And so how, what does that do for you knowing that there's a, that, you know, there is a worthy, worthwhile global outcry, which is to be celebrated and it's, and it's to squeeze every bit of change out of it that it can possibly be squeezed out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and But yet we also have great unrest. We have a number of um, officers who have lost their lives as well. Yeah. Would you just speak to that for a moment? Because I know that's on some people's minds as well. But you have a unique perspective because you also have a son-in-law who is a first responder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my, my son-in-law works as a, a police officer. Um and so we, we've had conversations, actually, and, and Mark, you know this, and Scott, you know this, too. Right now, I participate on a task force that's, that's, that's been put together to hold uh, the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department accountable for police brutality that's been perpetrated on uh, black folk 
uh, in a few instances since 2018, actually. And so um, I asked him, hey, what do you think about this? And then my neighbor is a Hamilton County Sheriff as well, uh, believe it or not. And so we've had conversations about uh, policing in America. And what, what, he, what he says to me is, and I believe him, he says the majority of police officers are good cops. The majority try to do what's right. And what, what I know from him and other police officers is there are times when folk are reacting rather than thinking because they're human. And so, um, you know, I, ha I have, I have, I have, a, I have a, a heart for law enforcement because of him. And I have a best friend who served on the Baltimore Police Department. For 30 years, 32 years, he's been a Baltimore City police officer. Huh. And so I, I have a high regard for police officers. Plus, when I dial 911, I want folk to come. Amen? That's just a reality. Yeah. So I am not anti-police. What I am is anti, and I told my son-in-law this, I am anti-accountability, help not holding people accountable. See, it's not, it's not a matter of, I, it, people shouldn't get killed, but hold folk accountable when they, people, people will say, well, black folk kill black folk too, but both so one dies and the other one goes to jail every time. I grew up in Baltimore. We had over 300 murders most of my life growing up in Baltimore every year. Black folk go to jail when they kill other black folk. Are you listening to me? But when the white police officer kills black people, when two white men hunt down a, a black guy in Georgia, they don't, they're not held accountable. Mm -hmm. And so we had that conversation, you know, and um, I'm, I'm okay with protesting the police while still supporting the police because I think that's what our democracy allows us mm -hmm. to do. Our democracy allows us the the we are a um, deliberative democracy, which means we have debates to decide what best actions to take. And so conversation um, is healthy for us to make decisions. So I talk to him about that stuff and and I hold him accountable and argue with him, too. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to continue to do that. Yeah. Now, you also asked about the riots themselves. Here's here's what we know about about unheard people. Martin Luther King said riots are the cry of the unheard. Watch this. When a lady cuts herself, a young girl is a cutter. She's doing self-harm. And, and, and people will respond and they'll, they'll give her all the help she needs because that's, that's unhealthy behavior to cut yourself. That, that doesn't make sense. So when you see folk rioting, let's, let's take out the, 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 the ones who you know they are for malicious purposes trying to start race riots, white or black. Let's take those folk out. When you see folk mad and angry and looting and rioting because they're frustrated, it's a cry for help. It is a collective self-cutting. It is a collective self-harm. Mm, that is that saying, is "Can powerful. you hear me?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, "Oh, that's stupid," they just burn. Nobody looks at that young lady who's a cutter and says, "You're so dumb. Why are you cutting yourself? You you should know better than that. You shouldn't cut yourself. That's just so stupid." Nobody does that. They say, sweetie, what's the matter? Mm. We got to get you to a hospital right away. And they get them a psychologist and everything. Um, think about this. Can I go? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're good. So, so, so watch this. Black folk in America, we just, we just talked about this trauma right here, all this trauma we just, we just talked about in the sermon, right, in the, in the talk. I don't even know if that was a sermon. I don't know what that was. <laughs> think about it. African Americans as slaves – Watch their kids get taken away from them. In essence, kidnapped. An African-American man watches his wife get raped on a repeated basis by the white slave master and his daughter get raped by the white slave master. He himself at times raped by the white slave master. 
um, sold into families broken up, sold into slavery. You watch people get murdered and whipped and killed. All those things are traumatic um, experiences. And we have, we, have, we have a whole system of, 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 of therapy set up, talking about um, uh, childhood traumatic experiences and all that stuff, and all our social workers and psychologists, they have, this whole, they have these forms and everything with that stuff, right? No therapy. The whole time in slavery, nobody came to examine their heads. All these lynchings. Nobody went to these black folk and said, y'all were treated horribly. And, 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 and you, 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 you made the posters that we're going to use on Tuesday. You got a man tied to a tree, burned to a crisp, and they make postcards out of them and sent them around America. People used to come picnic. Picnic has, has an has a, um, a unsavory background. They used to come and watch the lynchings and eat meals while the people were being lynched. This is, this is, this is traumatic for black folk. No therapy. If one of our brave men or women come home from uh, Afghanistan or Iraq and they have PTSD, they get therapy right away. They get a check, 100% benefits. <laughs> Ain't got to work no more because the government's going to pay you because your mind is messed up. Mm. You see what I'm saying? But when you kidnap somebody and rape, repeatedly rape somebody and you, 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 you kill the husband, you kill the wife, you repeatedly beat them, no therapy? You have, you have a group of people, a race of people who have survived and it should be celebrated mm. But we've learned to function in dysfunction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why I start off by saying individually, everybody can achieve the American dream. But collectively, as a people, we're broken. Mm -hmm. Listen to what I'm saying. We're tired. It, 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 it is absolutely, um, it, it is frustrating to feel like we've made some progress only to get knocked back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, is, it is absolutely frustrating. In 2008, when Barack Obama got elected and they stood out there in that, in that plaza in Illinois and that brother made that speech. That was probably one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard in my life. And I, I was hopeful. He didn't do the, the, the hope speech. He did a different kind of speech. And it was, it was just absolutely incredible. But you know what I said? We're going to pay for that. Mm. And then for eight years, we had a do-nothing Congress. President Barack Obama put forth legislation that the Republican Party supported and won it for themselves. But just because Barack Obama put it forward, they, they voted against it. They said, we're not voting anything that he puts forth. In other words, we're not going to let him, <laughs> you know, the N-word, have any successes. President Trump gets in, and what does he do? He undoes everything that Obama does. It's, it's like a, an Egyptian king or a, a, a conqueror who comes in and erases the history of the person before them. N there was a there was a there was legislation passed that that they had to pay overtime money to to um, salary workers. Every salary worker in America knows that's a good thing. But what did Trump do? He undid it because because Obama did it. There was legislation that protects the environment. They had nothing really to do with global warming. Just good legislation for the environment. But because the Obama administration did it, take it out of here. Mm -hmm. Listen to what I'm saying. And then you have you have a group of Republicans who know some of this stuff is wrong. And rather than stand against it, they quit. They just leave, leave Congress. Mm -hmm. And then you have others who are silent. Mm -hmm. Why? So we can get judges. Listen, Christian America, I talked about this in my sermon. So, so we can get judges in circuit courts and Supreme Courts and fight against abortion. Really, is the undoing of America worth a Supreme Court seat? Our country's a mess. Mitch McConnell says... We, it's an election year. Let's not put a judge in.
during election year. Let's hold off. And then two <laughs> years later, exactly. he puts a judge in during the election year mm-hmm. and you celebrate like it's OK. It's not OK. Mm-hmm. It's not wow. OK. It's called stealing. Mm-hmm. And how much of this? Trip? I got to stop because I, I mean, no, I got to no, stop. You, you keep but going. This is something we, we have conversations about here often. How much of this is pushing all of us to side? You can't. You've got to choose a side. You've got to choose a side. See, here's here's the thing. Ephesians chapter 2 says Christ, when he died on a cross for the salvation of all men, he abolished the middle wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles, between the races, and he created in himself one new man out of two. If we're Christian, we don't vote Democrat or Republican. We vote for Christ. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? And so that means, that means, that none of the candidates are good. It doesn't matter who they are because none of them live up to the ideal of Jesus Christ. So we make a choice that's going to put us as close to X as possible, mm. not Y. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a we we, we need all to have need another to conversation just about that. Um, and that as Christians, that's why we continually say we have you have to know the issues. The, listen, Christ didn't die on the cross so that we could vote in an election. However, when we're in a nation that gives us that influence to vote in an election, we have the opportunity to vote in a way that honors Christ and honors God's intent for people. And we can't just be sharing memes and we can't just be going party lines because that's who my people are. You Instead, we have to be bigger than that. This this segues into the other thing. Because I know you got to go. Yeah. I know you got to go. Come on. Go ahead. You can go. go All right. Segway. So, the, and and a, and a question that came that this also will address a question that came <laughs> up is how can Journey be a part of this conversation ourselves? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it. So Tuesday night, we're going to be going down to Miller Park. Mm-hmm. And consistently, one of the reasons I'm so excited for you to come talk with us, and, and we do need to do it again, and we do need to get our churches together to do some things together. We do. And we will do it. We and will. we will. And we will. Coronavirus, we, we have things planned. In April, we were going to be going down to First Baptist on 8th Street to do to uh, do, awesome do a show of, of not not just of, of, about race. It, wasn't, it was about just race, but it unity. wasn't. Just, just, just was we just love each other, yeah. and we are united under Christ, and we wanted to, to do that together. So coronavirus messed a lot of that. We will continue to do that. So we're going down Tuesday, and you consistently bring the conversation back to the gospel. Amen. You do not shy away. This is what I love. Why I love to hear you talk about it. You do not shy away from the hard issues, but you always bring it back to how did we? How do we as Christians and through the gospel respond to that? Because that's our. Our first concern is that, but that right. should then inform all right. the rest of our responses. Amen. Amen. So, so one of the ways that Journey is going to be involved, I don't know how many churches are involved now. Um, Tuesday. Probably about 12, it seems. There, there's a bunch. Um, and so we're going to go down. It's going to be from 6 to 8, mm-hmm. or I don't know how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. We're going to go down. There will be some protesters there. and But you said, you said this. There's two things. Actually, I, there's several things I need. I wanted to say. I don't know if I got time for them all, but two things. Um, I'm going to be back up to one. You said something to me a year ago. Okay. We first started talking about our churches getting together. I've mm-hmm. never forgotten it, and I can't tell you how many people I've shared it with. Okay. What did I say? <laughs> and, I'll tell you if you really shared it with me or not. Okay. And so when we started talking about, you said, let's not do a panel. That's right. 
We need to get the people in our churches around a table to talk to each other, not just have the pastors on a panel to have a bigger talk. That's and right. you said, now, I can't guarantee what some of our folks may say, but you said this to me. I've never forgotten, and I can't tell you how many people I've shared it with. There are times that you have to listen to the hard facts before you have an opportunity to build a relationship to go deeper and to have a different kind of conversation. That's right. 100%. We have to be able to listen if we're going to actually build the relationships we all talk about we need to build. And, and let me tell you why why that's important. Here, here, here's, 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 here's what would move the needle for black people in conversation with white people. The acknowledgement that the pain and the hurt is real. Not necessarily an apology, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. That may, that may get a little traction, but here's, if you go to your black coworker and you say to your black coworker, I acknowledge that your experience in America, the negative experience that you've had, meaning your people have had, is real and legitimate. And then you follow that up with, I'm sorry that that happened. Not that I did it. But I'm just sorry it happened. Don't we say that to people? When somebody Amen. loses a loved one, Amen. we say to them, I'm sorry your father passed. We're not saying we killed him. We're, mm. we're not admitting any guilt. We're saying, I, I, I'm taking this journey with you. If, 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 in, in, in order to have that deeper conversation, it has to be, here's what happened to me. Wow, that did happen. Wow, I'm sorry that happened to you. That, that's legitimate. That, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. And guess what happened? Bonds, uh, 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 chains fall off, uh, uh, walls come down, um, nobody's, nobody's um, standoffish and reluctant. It, it, it changes the atmosphere. It and we've got to know atmosphere. the history to know it's legitimate. Yes. That's, yeah. that's where we're but, but I see you. I hear you. Absolutely. That's it. I'm with you. That's it. That's what fixes our marriages. Amen. My wife may see this, and honey, you know I sometimes. <laughs> Not perfect. <laughs> no, listen. She says she says something, and she expresses an emotion, and I deny it because I feel it's an attack on me. But when the only way I move past that, now relationship moves past that, is when I say, you know what, babe? I feel you. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. I am sorry that that that, that you know my actions have caused this emotion. You still didn't say you was wrong is what my wife would say. But, <laughs> but that makes her, that, that acknowledges yes. her pain. Yes. yes. And now I'm able, we're able to have a conversation and talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because all her defenses are gone now because I said what you're going through is real. Oh, man, that's, that is so good. That is so good. So Tuesday night we're going to do Tuesday this. Tuesday night we're going to acknowledge some of the pain. And initially the conversation was about how, how do we have a voice in – the community and with protesters and about these events. And you said, I remember you, you said, you know, as the church, we have to be at the forefront of this, not, not because that we want a voice, but because this is what Christ wants from us. And this is how we propel the church forward. I don't, that's not exact yeah. words, but with that's a, essentially with what you said. With a moral voice. I mean, yeah. we, we, we don't, we don't, we're not, we're, we want, we want reforms in the police department, but more than reforms, we want reformed hearts. Yeah. And our mission is the heart is, is not to change the police department, to change hearts. Yeah. So that the police officers in our congregations or who are relatives of our members, their hearts can be changed because our, our folk are changed. Yeah. That's right. We, we talked know? about it this week. Yeah. We're, we're not there Tuesday night to align ourselves with protesters, align ourselves with police officers. We're there to align ourselves with Christ. Align ourselves with Christ. And make that show. Because the church has to be right. And then the power, in, in my tradition, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, right, one of our, one of our, one of our, uh, right, the writings in our, uh, our church, 
uh, says this, um, that, well, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, basically this, unity is the greatest demonstration of the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Christ prayed in yes. John 17? Yes. Absolutely. That's the greatest demonstration of the gospel. Hereby will all men know you're my disciples if you have loved one for another in John chapter 5, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in John chapter uh, 13. Uh, I'm just quoting anything now. I? <laughs> it's John chapter 13 uh, in TV land. Let's go. I'm getting tired, man. <laughs> All right. So, so, so Pastor Brand's got to go. We he's, wore him down. I didn't know it was possible. He, he's got a he's got a wedding this afternoon. He's got several things going on I this afternoon. Bless house in an hour. He's got to bless a house in an hour. So, we, thank you for being with us. So Tuesday night we're going to do this. The the point of the, the demonstration is to to move towards healing. Yes. And so it's going to be a collective speaking of both white and yes. African-American pastors. And um, and then there's going to be a mutual foot washing between Amen. them because Amen. we want to make a statement towards healing. Mm-hmm. We want, it, it, it will be by its nature be a protest. It will be. But the desire is for it to be a demonstration that leads to healing Amen. because that is what we want to see happen. So we want to invite you to that. That is a way to, to continue. 6 p.m. Miller Park. And, um, and, and, and we'll be there. So we would invite you to come as well. Thank you for, uh, we're going to, we are going to close. I think the worship team's still here. We're going to close one more song. We're going to release you mm-hmm. because, um, you've yeah. got things you got to do and you took time out to be with us. Well, thank you can, for having me. Can we pray with you? Yes. Um, before you pray, okay, let's make a commitment to not me and you and Scott talk. Let's make a commitment to have some of our church members yes. get with some of our other church members Absolutely. and we remove ourselves. And let them build relationships. Let them do do the work too, and see. Let's, let's make a commitment to do that. Because it's it's a joy. Yeah. It is a joy to to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's what we'll work on. Um, you guys who are watching on Journey Church, hold Pastor Mark and Pastor Scott accountable, uh, and then they'll hold me accountable. Because as sure as I leave here, I'm going to forget I said that. Yeah. So I need help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When we get busy, we forget. Thank you for being with thank us. Thank you. Thank it, you. Man. It is it is an honor to have Bless you with us. Yeah. We're thank looking you. forward Appreciate to more you, to more ahead. Amen. I'm humble. All right, Father, God, I thank you for Pastor Bran. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for how you have gifted him to share with us and anointed him in such a way that we can be aware of what's happening in our world, that we would not be blind, but instead the scales would fall from our eyes, that we would see, and beyond just seeing, that we would act, and we would act in a way that not only brings honor to you, but also brings healing to our brothers and our sisters that share this world with us. I pray that our faith would not be in word only. It would not be on Sunday morning services or Saturday morning services only, but our faith would be projected through every moment in which we live our lives throughout the day. Let us see those who are being taken advantage of, see those who are being oppressed, and give us the courage to to move forward and stand, not to be those that in a group would not intervene, but instead we would be moved by your spirit to represent what is true, what is right, what is just. And I pray that we would do that in your name to honor you well and to bring healing in our relationships. I pray for Pastor Brand and his church, for all, all their ministry in their community, for their willingness to embrace us, their willingness to, to walk in life with us. And uh, Father, I pray not only blessings on their church, but you would Thank continue you. to use Pastor Brand just in his words and his actions uh, to be a force for the gospel. Um, through all of this because we do not want evil to win. We do not want Satan to win. Uh, We want people to be freed. I thank you for what we have learned. Let us not leave this place unchanged. Mm -hmm. Let us not uh, stop because this service stops, 
but let our eyes be open to a new world that we have a, a role in to bring change. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.